0: Welcome to the Naked Wellness podcast. I'm your host nutritionist, Michaela Shiffley, the founder of KJ Wellness. On this podcast, we'll talk about all things nutrition and wellness. We'll cut through the bullshit information out there, debunk health myths, interview health experts, and give you actionable steps to help you become the best version of yourself. So go grab yourself a nice hot cup of coffee and strap in to hear the cold hard truths about health. Hello everyone and welcome back to the Naked Wellness Podcast. Today I have a very special guest with me. I have Maddie Parsons. Maddie is a dietitian who focuses on eating disorders. She helps people to heal their relationship with food and to just really feel in control around food again, which obviously aligns a lot with me and my messaging. So I'm so excited for this episode and welcome Maddie.
1: Hey, how are you going? I'm so excited to be here.
0: I'm so excited that you are here. So just let's go off like did you want to tell us a little bit about you, your own health journey, like what made you become a dietitian?
1: Yeah, absolutely. Um this is something I talk about a bit because it's I uh, it's ironic almost like it's such a weird weird story. I guess like growing up I was definitely not that like stereotypical using bunny ears here like healthy kid. I was not sporty at all. I ate so much junk food. It was ridiculous. Um yeah, I did dancing for about 10 years, but I definitely wouldn't say I excelled in it. Um, it was more, more or less like something that my parents made me do to get off the couch watching Simpsons each afternoon after school. Um, but I think around year 10, so what's that, about 16 years old, that kind of all started to shift. Um I had a really good group of girlfriends and uh, around that time we started getting into fitness. So one afternoon after school each week, we'd kind of all go to this one girl's house and do a workout, eat some lunch, talk, like, you know, do what teenage girls do, like giggling and all that stuff. Um, But I think it really made me realize how mentally well I felt when I took care of myself by a eating good most of the time and be exercising as well. So I got pretty into it. Like I really enjoyed it. I did it with my friends that was, you know, added a nice social element into it and then kind of carried through with me throughout the rest of high school. And then it came to that point at the end of high school where Okay, what are the next steps? What do I have to do or what am I going to do? Um, Uni was definitely on the cards and my parents were super encouraging and, you know, helping me get into uni, helping me figure out what my next steps were. I came across the nutrition science degree at the University of Wollongong. It interests me. I'd always been like a bit of a foodie. I liked cooking. Um, So I thought I'd just give it a go. And if I didn't like it, I'd drop out, pursue a career in I don't know, real estate or something. Um, but I actually ended up loving it, which was awesome. Um, it did give me the opportunity as well to, you know, go overseas and do an exchange as well through uni, which was really cool. Um, and at the end of that degree, I was a nutritionist. Uh, I took a gap year, which was, again, the best thing I've ever done. Travelled, saw the world, all that sort of stuff, especially pre-COVID times. Um, and then I just kind of realized that I wanted to go back to uni and become a dietitian. So I did.
0: Mm, I love that. That's incredible. And I guess so for you, like obviously you've gone into a niche specifically around like eating disorders, binge eating, healing relationship with food. So talk us through that. Like what is the major spark for focusing on that specific niche?
1: Yeah, yeah, that's a great question. I think similar to many of like the people that I went through that dietetics degree with and, you know, in conversations with other dietitians as well, it kind of comes to that point where you work out your next steps after uni um, and whether or not you kind of want to niche down straight away or become like a generalist sort of dietitian, so to speak, you know, seeing clients for a range of different uh, ailments and topics. I guess I kind of took the leap to go into eating disorders straight away, which was not advised by a lot of people, but also fully supported by others. So there's a bit of of, like a a pulse still out on that one, whether or not it's a good thing to do. But honestly, I can confidently say I haven't looked back. The reason that I did want to go into eating disorders, I do have a little bit of a history um, of struggling with my own relationship with food. It was never to the point where it was, diagnosed as an eating disorder but I strongly believe that it was still significant nonetheless and I guess you know that kind of sparked my passion going through my own personal journey of you know healing my relationship with food overcoming my struggles with binge eating which was something that I did struggle with for quite a few years as well Um, yeah it sparked my passion to help others. 100%
0: 100% and I know I definitely can relate to that with my own journey as well like healing my relationship with food and I think like a big thing for me as well was working in a weight loss company how often I saw how many people didn't have a good relationship with themselves or with food and yeah. the thing that like sparked for me is because I ended up getting the job when I hadn't even finished uni yet either and I was still quite young quite impressionable and being in that environment whole nother story on its own, but also just seeing like, you know, 60, 70, 80 year olds that still don't have that good relationship with themselves or they good relationship with food and that their life is so fixated on that number on the scales and their self-worth is attached to it. And they've been like that their entire life. And it's really heartbreaking when you think to go through your entire life and still be at that age and still, you know, have that underlying fear or guilt of eating out or um, eating that some, someone else has cooked for you, things like that. So I think like such an incredible journey to go on and then to guide other people through as well.
1: Yeah, absolutely. And I think especially in this day and age, like something that I struggled with that kind of precipitated into that struggle with binge eating was orthorexia, which is not really talked about Mm -hmm. too much, but it's good that it is becoming, you know, Mm -hmm. more increasingly aware. People are becoming more increasingly aware of it. Um, But I guess when I first started my nutrition degree, You learn so much about what healthy and unhealthy foods are that I more or less formed an obsession with eating healthy, which obviously is not a good thing to have. And that definitely kind of spiraled into some more unhealthful behaviors and eventually binge eating.
0: Mm, 100% and you're right I think that orthorexia isn't something that is spoken about enough yep but it is becoming more and more spoken about and it's funny because I did a podcast earlier in this week for somebody else's channel and that's exactly what I spoke about like and I think it actually is really quite common within nutritionists and dietitians because you do it's the environment that you're in and you're learning so much about all of these foods and you have so many different messages coming at you and it's so easy to get swept up in that and to start almost putting foods in different boxes and becoming very hyper obsessed and hyper aware over every tiny little thing that you are putting in your body.
1: Absolutely. I forget what the exact year was, but a couple of years ago there was a study that came out um, that surveyed nutrition students. um, And the, I guess the consensus from the study was that there is those students are at such a heightened risk of developing disordered eating behaviors and eating disorders because of the knowledge that they learned through Mm. the degree, which is, Pretty worrisome.
0: 100%. And I think it's even interesting because knowledge is power, 100%. And sometimes I think you can almost know too much. And I look at this in the sense of also tracking calories. If you've tracked your calories and your macros for such a long period of time, well, I think, you know, there's a sense where, yes, you can have like a good understanding of it, but it can definitely be taken to a point where you are so hyper aware of it that you don't even have to log it anymore. You can look at your meal and like roughly calculate it. And if you're trying to then unlearn all of that because, you know, it's becoming obsessive or you're not eating other things because it's not tracked within your calories of the day, that's when it can become a little bit of a problem.
1: Absolutely. The analogy that I use with my clients, and I'm sure you're similar, is that that calorie kind of uh, light switch isn't necessarily like a switch, like it's not something that can be flicked on and flicked off, it's always going to be present, knowing the knowledge that you know, like it's very hard to unlearn and forget all of that knowledge. So it's helpful all right. what I work with my clients is like thinking of it like a light dimmer. Like, yes, it can be absolutely dimmed down, but I think it's unrealistic to expect that it's, you know, completely going to be switched off.
0: Absolutely. And so when you talk about like binge eating specifically, let's dive into that a little bit more. Like obviously one thing I see a lot is like the difference between binge eating and overeating and kind of like a miscommunication and messaging around that. Did you want to kind of like explain what is binge eating and the difference between those two?
1: Yeah, absolutely. Because I think it's something that people often get like confused about and aren't sure how to differentiate between the two. So I guess to kind of clarify what binge eating is, Typically, I guess by the, you know, diagnostic criteria of what binge eating kind of classifies as, it's eating in a pretty short period of time, typically around the two hour mark. And that amount eaten is generally larger than what most people would eat within that period of time. Also, that person views it as excessive as well. So it's either an excessive amount of food and the physical amount of food or the person in their mind sees it as excessive. There's two different types of binge eating. It can be, you know, excessive in itself, or it can be viewed as excessive. Usually that binge eating episode is triggered um, by an event. And I'm going to go into a bit more of that later, but Generally, a what the hell kind of effect kicks in. So in most cases, when we're eating or when you're binge eating, it's a sense of loss of loss of control. And generally, like my clients, when I'm talking to them about their experiences with binge eating, they kind of report like an almost trance like state where they're not aware of what's going on or what's happening Just it all happens so fast. It's over in a flash. Um, And then generally afterwards, there's really, really strong feelings of like guilt, shame and regret as well.
0: Mm -hmm. And so would you say like the difference between that and then overeating necessarily would be that overeating as humans, we all overindulge. It's only natural, except you don't necessarily maybe have all of those feelings attached or not necessarily you're not aware, I guess. When you have been eating, you're not aware. When you're overeating, you are aware of what you're doing. It's just a different environment type of th- situation.
1: Yeah, absolutely. Like, as you said, overeating is an inherent part of being human. We all mm-hmm. overeat from time to time, myself included. No one is perfect. Um, but generally, as you said, that overeating doesn't involve that sense of loss of control when you're eating. And it's not followed by those extreme feelings of, like, guilt, shame, regret, disgust, that sort of thing.
0: Mm-hmm. And obviously everybody is so incredibly individual and everybody would have different triggers and different lives and all of that when it comes to binge eating. Are there like common things or triggers that you see within your clients of what triggers them to binge eat?
1: Yeah, absolutely. So as you said, triggers are highly, you know, varied based on the individual and their past experiences. I guess you can kind of categorize triggers into either emotional triggers or environmental triggers. So emotional as in eating to cope with something that's going on or a negative emotion that's kind of going on in their lives or environmental as in that urge to eat comes about from, you know, something in their environment at that point in time. So in terms of the emotional, it's typically negative emotions. So things like a fight with like a family member or a friend or a partner, unsolicited comments from someone about their eating habits or their body, um, stress from like job or anything else that's going on in their life and exhaustion as well. Um, Another one as well is like a dietary rule being broken and that can more or less be categorized into like the environmental kind of triggers. So a good example is like you're trying your best to eat clean using bunny ears here, but in the office it's someone's birthday and, you know, birthday cakes being served around and you have some so that rule of eating clean is you know, broken because you've had something that's viewed as not clean. And that what the hell effect kind of kicks in where it's like, screw it, I might as well just write this day off. And, you know, that binge eating tends to take place.
0: Mm-hmm. Yep, absolutely. And I saw that so often working in the weight loss company with exactly that, like the restriction would be so strong that then as soon as something came in that was unplanned for, unexpected, um, out of their control and they ate it or ate a little bit of it, it was that forbidden fruit effect or I'll just eat it all now, like because I never get it and I won't have it again after tomorrow or the last supper. And it's just... It's really, really hard to watch when, you know, there is such a large restriction. And I always say like the foods that you end up, I guess, craving the most or feel almost like addicted to in those inverted commas are the ones that you restrict from yourself. And as soon as you tell yourself that you can't have that, it's now up on a pedestal as well. And it's like that food has control over you rather than you being in the one or in control over that food
1: yeah no, absolutely. Like we all want what we can't have, right? Mm. Like if we're putting those barriers or those restrictions around something, naturally, we're going to want it more. And as you said, more often than not, that's the food that we tend to binge on
0: mm-hmm. absolutely. And then when you kind of I guess binge or overeat for emotional reasons as well, I always think of it like heart hunger, like you you know the emotions are there you kind of want to feel something food is easy it's accessible it's convenient to us right however Mm -hmm. when you eat that food you swallow it it goes down your esophagus into your stomach gets so close to your heart but it doesn't quite ever reach it so you never actually like end up healing that emotion that you're trying to regulate through the food which can then spiral have a spiral effect into wanting more or reaching for other things as well
1: yeah absolutely that's a fantastic analogy (laughs) Mm-hmm.
0: So when we go into healing relationship with food now as well, one thing I see a lot of is putting food into two boxes, the good food and the bad food. Mm, what yeah. is your experience with this as well?
1: Yeah, no, definitely. Um, You have clients come in like, oh, I ate so bad today. Or even, you know, friends and family, like, oh, I ate so bad. I'm like, what defines bad to you? Um, I guess my experiences or my opinion on, you know, categorizing food into that good or bad category It fosters that all or nothing view. So it creates those rules and restrictions around certain foods that are labeled as bad. So things like, you know, pizza, chocolate, cake, what have you. And then similar to what I said before, when those rules are broken, either intentionally or unintentionally, that what the hell effect kicks in and fosters those binge eating behaviors.
0: Mm -hmm. Black and white.
1: Yeah, absolutely. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. Absolutely.
0: And i know for me personally like i was very in denial for quite a long time that i didn't have a healthy relationship with food and i thought as a nutritionist or i found as a nutritionist it was very easy to be like oh well i'm just you know i'm i'm very concerned about my health or like i'm very into my health i'm and that's kind of what i classified as it when in reality like there was all of those underlying things that were like i did get nervous or anxious about eating out with friends like i did have food food guilt or shame I know that there's like such a long list of signs that you don't have a healthy relationship with food. What are the top ones or the most common ones that you see?
1: Yeah, yeah. The list goes on and on and on. Mm. Um, Definitely the ones that you said hit the nail on the head. Um, Some other examples of like you don't let anyone else prepare or serve you meals. You get like quite anxious or distressed about that. Um, You save calories for later in the day or you feel like you have to And you know, eating out for for whatever reason, or eating like a treat food or whatever it is, Um, you calorie track or you weigh your food quite religiously. That's a big one. Um, You feel guilty when you miss a day of exercise because you feel as though you have to like burn off the food that you're eating constantly. Um, You ignore your body's hunger cues, like Mm. that's a massive one. If your body's screaming out to you that you're hungry and you're ignoring that, that's a very big red flag of sorts that you, you know, don't have the healthiest relationship with food.
0: Mm. Um those oh. really like rigid meal times. Like yes. you know, you can't have lunch at eleven thirty because it hasn't hit twelve o'clock yet. Like that afternoon snack is planned to the T. Yes. I think there's like there are so many that I think are also normalized within our society as well. And especially within diet culture. And I heard this analogy the other day and it was like there were two young fish swimming and an older fish passed them in the water and turned to them and said like, how's the water today? And the two young fish, they didn't respond, but they kept swimming. And then later one of them turned to the other one and was like, what's water? Like it's because it's all they know. Like they actually don't know any different. And we are the exact same in diet culture. Like we are raised in this world where it is all you know that weight loss is this magical solution to all of your life problems. And you're going to be happy when you finally reach that weight or, you know, you'll be happy when you control your food so rigidly that you have to eat at these times, you have to eat these portions, you have to, you know, all of those type of things, but we don't know any different because that's what our parents did and that's what their parents did. And so at the end of the day, like it's up to us to kind of almost break that stigma as well and to actually start to realise that, all of these signs, they're red flags that you don't have a healthy relationship with food. And yeah, it's in, it's easy to be in denial about and to be like, oh yeah, but I'm just conscious of my health. Yeah, you can still actually, I guess, put your health as a number one priority and have a healthy relationship with food. Like there's a healthy way to do it.
1: Yeah, absolutely. And something that I talk a lot about with my own clients as well is adopting like a healthful approach to eating. So not healthy, uh, I guess to kind of break that down, what that means is like, eating foods that you know are typically labeled as healthy so like your fruits your veggies your whole grains and whatever but also merging those with those soul foods so the things that you actually get pleasure from eating so things like chocolate things like cake things like biscuits and pizza and having like a beautiful i guess uh, synergy of the two in a more healthful approach of eating
0: Mm, absolutely and taking that gentle nutrition approach that so every single time you eat it's like okay well is this meal like meeting the nutritional requirements that you need does it have the veggies does it have the fruit does it have your grains in it and then are you going to be mentally satisfied after you eat it like do you will you walk away from this meal being like yep that hit the spot because if you're craving a sandwich and you eat a salad you're going to walk away from that salad being like no i need something more and then that might not hit the spot. Or if you're craving, you know, when you crave chocolate and then you try and hit that curb with like some fruit and then some like nuts and then like, and you go in this like full circle and you end up eating the chocolate anyway. It's like, well, you should have just done that in the first place.
1: Absolutely. So like not only satisfying that physical hunger for actually, you know, eating food, but also that emotional hunger, something that's, as you said, going to hit the spot, going to keep food off your mind for the next however many hours until you're hungry again.
0: Mm-hmm, Yeah. So when it comes to people having an unhealthy relationship with food, I often see one of the biggest reasons for it as diet culture. They mm-hmm. have, you know, gone through things where or tried to lose weight on certain diets and whatnot, and that has caused them to have an unhealthy relationship with food. Or maybe it's generational, like their parents didn't have the best relationship with food. One thing in particular I also see is that especially the diets that, are very very restrictive like if we were to take keto for an example where somebody loses weight by cutting out a major food group you then automatically demonize that food group because it's like oh well I was able to achieve this by not having that so I'm never going to have that again sort of thing would you say you kind of see the same
1: yeah absolutely so generational um, influence is a huge one so growing mm. up in a household where there's dieting or like negative food or body talk present constantly is huge Um, trauma from like your past or your childhood as well that you know kind of leads to low self-esteem low self-worth poor body image Um, also a big one is social media I detest the what I (laughs) eat videos they are the bane of my existence
0: (laughs) Mm, yeah social media is a massive one and I think as well uh, for a lot of time like there were, when clients would come to me back, like, oh yeah, but this is what I see on social media. It's like, okay, but at the end of the day, we have control over who we follow, who we mute, who we block on social media. And I think it's really important that we almost take that on and be like, okay, well, yeah, I need to be the one who controls what pops up on my feed when I go onto that, because we are adults at the end of the day and you can fully control what you consume. And it's really important that you actually become aware of what is impacting you consciously or subconsciously.
1: Yeah, absolutely. You're the curator of your social media feeds or you're the curator of, you know, what information or what uh, talk is coming through.
0: Mm, Yeah, massive, massive one. But starting to heal your relationship with food. It's a big journey, hey. It is
1: huge. And I think something that's not often uh, talked about is the fact that it takes a lot of time. Like too often we see like, you know, 12-week shreds and Mm. however programs to you know get x amount of kilos off that sort of stuff but actually doing the reverse work and healing that relationship with food so that positive relationship with food and your body actually sticks in the long term it takes a lot of time and that's Mm -hmm. something that needs to be talked about I think first and foremost that it's not a quick fix it's Mm -mm. not something that's going to happen overnight
0: no. And it's actually quite mentally exhausting as well. And there's a lot of times where you feel quite uncomfortable doing it. Like it pushes you so far outside of your comfort zone that there's days where you're like, I don't want to do this anymore. Like it's easier for me to revert back to the restricting behaviors. And then there's other days we're like, Whoa! like I'm achieving so much. Like I'm challenging all of these food rules. Look at me go. And I just like, it's a whirlwind of emotions and you're right. Like it's not a quick fix.
1: Absolutely. Recovery is very much not linear. Like, as you said, there'll be days where it feels so easy and it might even seem like, okay, what's the point of, you know, getting treatment anymore? Like, I'm sweet. Everything's healed. But then there'll be days where it feels really, really challenging. And I think that's, you know, normal and that's to be expected. And that's okay. Mm. Mm -hmm.
0: Absolutely. And it's why I say that going on a journey of healing relationship with food is one that you should definitely do with a health professional so that they are there. They're there to hold the space for you to celebrate the wins, to guide you through the struggles because it is really, really tough. And I'd say like, that's the first place to start.
1: Yeah, absolutely. Um, some other minor ways to kind of start getting that ball rolling, so to speak. Number one, stop calorie tracking or weighing your food. That's a biggie um i guess as well like eating regularly and making sure that you're eating adequately throughout the day to get rid of that mental restriction around food
0: mm-hmm. yeah because if you are somebody who finds that afternoon nighttime you really struggle with feeling satisfied and you feel like you have to keep eating or you have these big urges to eat look at the rest of your day like are you having a really small breakfast not snacking tiny lunch and then it gets to dinner and then the night time's like a free-for-all sort of thing eating more consistently
1: is a massive one. Yeah, absolutely. And a biggie, but I know it's easier said than done. And again, this is something that takes time, but letting go of that need to be perfect in the context mm. of nutrition, like letting go of that perfectionism around food. No one's perfect. Even people that have studied nutrition for 50 years don't eat perfect. Like it's an inherent part of being human to eat, you know, different foods from time to time.
0: mm absolutely and like completely fine as well
1: yeah absolutely yeah.
0: yeah and then also like starting to just become aware of like do you have food rules and food rules are things that I guess you put on yourself like whether it's tracking specific foods or it could be eating at those rigid times all of those kind of things like do you have things that if you were to do differently it would make you feel uncomfortable yeah I find that they're like you peel back the first layer and you're like holy shit <laughs> Like I have so many that are just going out. Right. And it's like I was doing these without even knowing that I was doing them.
1: Yeah, absolutely. Or even like telling yourself that you don't like a certain food, but it's really just a feared food food. Mm,
0: yeah. Or, yeah. yeah, like you're intolerant to it, makes you feel funny. Yes. Um, like eating with like really specific cutlery and like not allowing yourself to eat with any other size, shape, cutlery, like, you know, just being like really, really particular about certain things that if somebody else is to be like, oh, like, you know, that's, that's an interesting thing that you do. Maybe like, think about it and just be like, okay, like, if I was to change this, how does that make me feel?
1: Yeah, absolutely. And something that I always talk about as well is like, if you saw a loved one, so like a partner, a family member, or a friend doing the behaviors that you're doing, whether or not you think they're bad right now, how would you respond? Would you think that it's, okay? Or would you think that, hmm, as you said, maybe something's, you know, maybe something's up?
0: Mm, Yeah. And then when you like are working with somebody that you're comfortable with, you can slowly start to challenge them little by little. And like we said, like this journey is not a quick fix, like break them down. This journey is all about baby steps.
1: Yeah, baby steps are the way to go so that each step is solidified rather than jumping the gun, which I know can be super, super tempting. You just want to get recovery over and done with. You want to get to that end goal. But it's far better to go slow and making sure that each step is solidified so it actually lasts.
0: Mm, mm-hmm. Yeah. One thing I also hear a lot is a fear around weight gain in mm. recovery as well. Is Oh, yeah. Recovery of like healing relationship food is massive.
1: Yeah, absolutely. And I arguably probably the biggest hindrance to healing or recovery. Mm,
0: yeah. And I guess like at the end of the day, you have to ask yourself, like, what what is the worst? If you even were to gain a couple of kilos, like what is going to happen?
1: Yeah. And as similar to the onion analogy or the peeling back the layer thing that you talked about before, peeling back like why weight gain is such a bad thing for you. Like, why do you value weight? so so much like what are your core beliefs or your core values around weight and peeling Mm. back that layer by layer like what does that mean to you what does that say about you as a person how does it you know impact your life and addressing all of those um I guess layers of the onion um, is a really good analogy because it's easy Mm -hmm. um, but peeling back every single layer on that belief of like I can't gain weight I'm afraid to gain weight and without doing that Recovery or healing is just—it's—it's really hard.
0: Mm, Hundred percent, it is, especially when it's like deep seated into you. Like trying to unlearn these things is so hard. And like I know for me personally, like my whole journey started when I was in high school and lost like a lot of weight because I was really unwell with a parasite. And so all of these compliments started—you know—flowing through from everyone around me, like "Oh my god, you look amazing! This is great! Like, what are you doing? Like, I want to be sick like you to look to be that size." And so for me, in my head, at such a young, impressionable age, I was like, oh, well, I'm now, like, accepted, in inverted commas, by society because I'm smaller, which is so mentally messed up. Like, because at the end of the day, like, it doesn't, shouldn't matter what goddamn size I am. People either like me or they don't like me. Like, I either have, you know, like, they're either my friends or they're not my friends sort of thing. It should not make you more or less accepted by society. But that's, like, the mindset that I grew up believing that if i was you know this small tiny unhealthy size because i was so unwell people liked me more. So for me to try and unlearn that for like years and years of like think believing that that was the case so 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 hard.
1: Yeah, absolutely and you know especially as a young girl we all want to be accepted, right? We all want to fit in, we all want to feel included and involved. So if that connotation was created at that age, it's understandable that it kind of stuck around.
0: Mm, Absolutely. And like, that's how our minds are wired. Like if you think back to when we all lived in tribes as humans, like hundreds and hundreds of years ago, if you weren't accepted by that tribe and you were shone from it, you would die because you can't survive on your own. So Mm. forever we have been wired in the way that we want to be accepted by our society and by our community. So it's not necessarily the sense that you're like, oh, well, I don't care what other people think because you're forever gonna care. It's just about detaching like your worth to a size or the number on the scales or other people's projections as well. Because a lot of time when people are projecting, that's on them, like that's their insecurities, what they're working through. That is, it's, it is, it's It's really difficult to learn that. And this journey is a lot of mindset work.
1: Absolutely. And I think, as you said before, that's why it is especially important. If you have been struggling for a while, or if you're trying to do things on your own and it's really, really hard, get support. There is no mm. shame in getting support. I see psychologists regularly, and it's the best thing that I've ever done for my mind.
0: Mm, 100%. I think another thing that I find with healing your relationship with food is there's no like quick, immediate wins almost. If you're on a weight loss journey, for an example, you have different forms of measurement, whether it's enemy measurements, scales and your mind kind of gets that instant gratification that it's working, keep going, right? When yeah. it comes to healing your relationship with food, it, it can be a little bit more, you have to put extra time and effort into to actually see a benefit that you're progressing forward and I'd say that it's a little bit more of an uncomfortable journey mentally than going on a weight loss journey anyway so I guess like some signs that somebody is starting to actually heal the relationship with food what what do you see within your clients
1: um again the list goes on and on mm. but basically like those mental uh wins that we celebrate are. Things like you're starting to feel more comfortable going out to social events that are around food or you're feeling okay when food is prepared by someone else, like your mum's made it or your partner's made it and you're okay with eating it or you go to a restaurant and that's comfortable Mm -hmm. for you. Um, You stop eating when you're comfortably full. You no longer have that uh, impulse to keep on eating past the point of comfortable fullness. Yeah. Uh, No foods are off limits. That's a huge one. So no longer having that black and white view on food, being able to honour your hunger and your cravings. So if you feel like chocolate, you eat chocolate and it doesn't Mm. affect the rest of your day.
0: Mm -hmm. Yeah, I know for me, like one point where I really was like, okay, this actually feels comfortable was when I was sitting at dinner out I hadn't planned what restaurant we were going to because I let somebody else do that which was different mm-hmm. and then looking at the menu we were getting share food so I was like normally I'd be like okay this is what we order, we're ordering x y and z like I just take control but I had absolutely no say and I was like I actually don't care what we order and I was sitting there at dinner like so absorbed in the conversations that I was having with friends and family that the food was not the at the forefront of my mind which for me was like that was a massive shift because a lot of times if you don't have a healthy relationship with food when you do go out for dinner it's all you can think about is what do i order what's the best option what did i have earlier today what will i have tomorrow will i have dessert when i get home What do i need to balance it out will i exercise like it's just and you can't actually concentrate on who you're with and the time and the quality of time that you're spending with them because food is just all you can think about
1: yeah absolutely so arguably probably the biggest sign that everything's you know starting to heal and you're on that road to recovery is food doesn't dictate your every waking thought or your daily decisions or you know calories aren't the determinant of your food choices as well
0: Mm, yeah and a lot of clients when they first come to me like i just don't want to think about food anymore and i'm always like well everyone has to think about food like you know it's just like I guess, the relationship that you have with food and how you kind of think about it. Like, are you thinking about 24-7 all the time and it's every single thought, like you're counting down the minutes or the hours until your next meal or is it like you're thinking about it in a way where it's like, oh, yeah, I feel like this, I'll eat that, that's good, you know, it's sort of stuff?
1: Yeah, like that gentle nutrition approach, Mm. thinking about it in a way that like, okay, how can I, you know, take care of my body and show my body that I care about it and I respect it without it being too all-consuming?
0: Yeah. Love it. So if somebody listening to this was, you know, wanting to start their journey with healing their relationship with food, one, like just to, obviously we've said so many key takeaways, but just one like overall key takeaway that somebody could use to start their journey, what would advice would you give them?
1: I'd probably say if you weren't yet ready to reach out for additional professional support, Mm -hmm. Keep the food and mood log so you can
0: become Mm -hmm. your own expert on your food and mood. Love that. Mm. Because you're right, like the emotions around before eating, after eating, becoming aware of that is really powerful.
1: Yeah, and the more regularly that you do it, the more patterns will start to emerge Mm -hmm. and you'll be like, oh, hang on a second, I'm binging in the afternoon or after dinner because my first meal of the day wasn't until 11 a.m., 12 p.m., And the more that those patterns emerge, like you're the expert in yourself and your health. So the more that those patterns emerge, the more, you know, if you have those tools and you have that support eventually, you'll be able to be like, okay, I need to work on X, Y, Z.
0: Mm I love that. That is so powerful. (laughs) So we have some quick fire questions. Okay, I'm ready. (laughs) All right. First one is, what is one thing that you must do every morning to set your day up?
1: Oh, okay. Okay. Write a list. I'd have to say I am a huge list operator. Um, Yeah. I don't know if that like factors into my type A personality and that (laughs) needs to be organized, but without a list, I just feel like I'm walking blind through my day.
0: Yeah. hundred percent. I feel that. What is one thing everyone can do every day to improve their life?
1: Ooh. Okay. These are great questions. Um, (laughs) As cheesy as it is, it has been something that I've tried to implement this year. And I have noticed significant improvements in my, I guess, happiness throughout the rest of the day. When you wake up every morning, before you check on your phone, before you go on social media or get out of bed or whatever, just still with your eyes closed in bed, just say at least one to three things that you're grateful for in life.
0: Mm, I love that because it's so easy to go through the day. I guess, getting caught up in the busyness and the stress that we have that we forget to do it throughout the day. So I think, you know, first thing in the morning, love that. That's great. Yeah, yeah,
1: yeah, and it doesn't have to be anything, you know, too complex. It can be like something as simple as I'm just grateful for, you know, my family, I'm grateful for my friends, I'm grateful
0: to be alive. Like, mm-hmm. yeah. Yeah, that's so good. What is your favourite quote and why? That was tough.
1: Um, there are so many I think at the moment, and I feel like I ebb and flow between different quotes, Mm -hmm. depending on my stage of life. But at the moment, my favorite quote would have to be, life has no limitations except the ones that you make.
0: Oh. Mm,
1: A bit deep. Um, I think it really draws back to those like self-limiting beliefs that we have, which, you know, we are often the only thing that gets in our own way. So
0: Absolutely. Yeah. And it's so easy as humans to, I guess, like almost make excuses or reasons as to why we can't do X, Y, and Z. But when you actually break them down, it's like, well, if you were to put a plan into place or something, you probably would actually be able to tre- achieve that. Like you are capable of so much more than what you give yourself credit for. Yeah. I, I love that quote. <laughs> it's, it good, is good. Though. Yeah. yeah. So one question that I do love to ask all of my podcast guests is in the distant future, when you're looking back at your life, what do you think will be your biggest achievement or one thing that you will be most proud of? This could be something that you've already done or it could be something that you're hoping to do in the future.
1: Oh, that is a great question. Um, I must say, I guess, in a work slash professional capacity, something that I want to be able to look back on and be so proud that I have achieved is the fact that I have helped hundreds, if not thousands of women heal their relationship with food, overcome their struggles with binge eating. Like as you know, I've talked about in this podcast episode, it's something that I personally have gone through myself. Hence why I'm so passionate about it. And I just think it would be fantastic to help other people going through the same journey come to the, you know, healing point in their lives where
0: they feel comfortable around food and their bodies. Mm, yeah, because I explained in a way of when you heal your relationship with food, like you quite literally gain your life back. Yeah, absolutely. Mm-hmm. Now, tell the audience do you have anything coming up in life that you wanted to share with them and where can they find you? Oh, okay.
1: So you can find me via my website, maddieparsonsnutrition.com or Instagram binge underscore dietitian. Um, In terms of things coming up, I do have a signature program where I help women with exactly what I've just said before, heal their relationship with food, overcome their struggles with binge eating. And it is launching again in September, which I am super excited about. I've already launched it twice this year. I've had amazing results for the clients and the women that have come on board and I'm very excited to help even more people so it is a six-month program designed to help women break free from binge eating and heal their relationship with food their minds and their bodies um wow. the waitlist is now opened and if you do join the waitlist you get early bird access and a $200 discount
0: Hmm, bargain. Love that. And I will put all of your links to your website and Instagram, all of that in the show notes anyway, so it's easily accessible for everybody listening. But thank you so much for coming on and sharing so much insightful knowledge with us all. No,
1: thank you for having me. It's been a pleasure and it's great to see how aligned we both are on the same sort of topic.
0: Yeah, I 100% agree. Thank you so much for listening to this episode of Naked Wellness. If you do feel like you're struggling with your relationship with food or binge eating or anything like that, then please reach out. But I would love to hear from you. What was one key takeaway that you got from this podcast episode? Let me know in the comments or head over to my Instagram, kjwellness with three S's and send me a DM and let me know. But otherwise, you enjoy the rest of the day or night, wherever you are. And I will talk to you in the next episode very soon. Bye.